Uh, you know, at First Family, there's uh, three words that have described what we do. We've had these words since before we had our first service. They've kind of guided us. They're somewhat tactical in some ways, and yet they're strategic. And yet, in some ways, they do express our vision. They're just three simple words, and you probably know them. We haven't said them the last several months, so if you're relatively new, you may not. But I think if you've been here longer than maybe eight months to a year, you'll know that the three words that describe what we do on a regular basis are what? Say them with me. Celebrate, grow, serve. And so it's it, kind of like there's a three, threesome going on at First Sunday a lot of times. There's, it's First Family Church, and we celebrate, grow, serve. In, we celebrate the Father, we grow into the likeness of the Son, and we serve in the power of the Spirit. And so those are kind of the ways we look at things. That's how we go about things. It just overarches everything we do. We celebrate on the weekend. We grow throughout the week and we serve on a team. You can say it like that. All kinds of ways we say that. But again, the three words that really kind of talk about who we are and what we do are what? Grow, serve. Thank you, Ben. You're exactly right. I want to highlight the last word of those three that have kind of marked how we go about church. The last word of those three are what? It's what? Serve. And so... We take serving very seriously. In fact, um, we take a, a poll twice a year, a very informal, non-announced poll, and we ask you two questions. How many of you are in a small group? And we just pick a weekend throughout the year and ask you, and then you just let us know anonymously. We do, we've been doing this for several years. Uh, we usually come in around 80% of a normal weekend crowd will be in a small group. And so we are very thankful for that. We feel like it's one of the keys to our church working well. The second question we ask twice a year, unannounced, in a very informal, spontaneous way, is how many of you serve somewhere on a regular basis, which means at least regularly once a month? And right now we're hovering around 60 to 65% of, an, of a typical weekend crowd would say, I'm serving somewhere on a regular basis once a month. I'm, I, I'm proud of that. We could do better if I could nudge you towards that. But I want to say I, I, that's better than 50, amen? Better than 10. I think for the most part, God has been gracious in helping us kind of maybe at least so far break that 80-20 rule. So I'm really, I'm really proud of you guys and I say that in the right way. So to kind of help increase volunteerism, to help us think rightly about serving, we're going to initiate something this year brand new in 2017. We're going to actually begin to recognize some volunteers with what we're calling the, the Firsty Award. It's, it's a special way to recognize volunteers. It's called the Firsty. And instead of me explaining it, perhaps you should watch this video that might actually let you see some who have received the very first Firsty. It's 9 a.m. and I'm here with Travis. And we're about to go out and visit a few of our volunteers and present them with their first award, just like the Oscars. Right, and we do this every year? Uh, no. This is the first time, but it is something we should do every year. Well, let's see how it goes this year before we make that decision. Why are you even saying that? Okay. You're going to love this. Okay. No, no, no! This way! This way!
present you with a firstie award. Awesome. awesome. I'm glad you asked. The firstie is an award given to those who excel in volunteerism at First Family Church. Thank you. Congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> Dave Nelson here? Congratulations! Hey, hey, we wanted to give uh, you a firstie award from First Family Church for your excellence in volunteerism. Well, thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> and donuts. And donuts. Hey, great. Thanks, guys. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Dave. Let's say if any of the vulnerabilities are managed within the system, <laughs> Right here. All the rest of it, then we have to do normal risk. Lift up your knee! Hi, Mia. Hi, Mia. What? What is she? Happy birthday! Okay, I saw your coat and I was like, who is that? I'm glad you asked. It's Did you just bring me donuts? Excellent in volunteerism oh. at First Family Church. Are you kidding me? No. <laughs> oh, is that Nora? Can go, yeah, can you uh, hold him and change uh, him real quick for me? Thank you. Change? Yeah. I'm not changing that. Let's go, let's go. <laughs> Bye, guys. <laughs> so, Justin, uh, Becca, and Dave first received the Firsty Award for volunteerism, right? Justin's here. Is Becca here? And Dave, I don't know if they're here or not. Now, we may do that once a month. We may do it once a year. You never know, but... We just want to recognize those who are serving, and it is a surprise award, by the way. You don't know where they're going to go and find you and give you your certificate and donuts and then just relax with you for a bit, apparently, right? <laughs> In all seriousness, um, we do take serving uh, seriously. We know it's what God's called us to do. In the Bible, serving is often called good works. Will you say those two words with me? Good works. And one of the books that mentions good works a lot is the book of Titus. In fact, it's mentioned six times in just three chapters. And so when we recently taught through Titus, but we took more of an angle of like uh, how it speaks to the church in regards to the different groups in the church. I want to just take this morning and just kind of use the six references in Titus to help us form a solid theology about good works, or you could say a solid theology about serving. The things that God's people, the things that we do on the outside that come from what God is doing on the inside. So take your Bibles and locate the book of Titus, would you? Like I said, the phrase good works is mentioned six times in this single book. 
So here's how I want to start this morning. I want to kind of utilize this family service to kind of give you a chance to do some investigative research on your own. This will be especially helpful for our children to kind of show them um, how to kind of dig into the Bible, locate verses, and, and formulate some opinions about them and use the context to decipher what it means. I want you to find those six references. Now, you have a handout given to you, a kid's handout. If you don't have kids, you may not have gotten it, but you can use the sermon notes section of your worship folder. But if you have a, a child with you, you've probably received a kid's handout. I want you to work either with your parents or you can work with your spouse. Or you can work individually. Maybe you're sitting with some friends. You want to work with them. Or you can work on your own. I'm going to give you not a lot of time, but probably about three minutes. And I want you to begin to look for the six references and even jot down what you think that verse teaches us about good works. What do we believe about good works, about serving from what this book tells us? Does that make sense? Real simple. You won't get done with all of them, but start, and then we'll walk them together for a little bit as we understand what God would teach us about good works and as we develop a theology about good works. So you ready? Set? Go. All right, let me explain to you briefly before we dig into the six references what the phrase good works actually means in the Bible, okay? I'm going to give you a definition. Just kind of take the phrase good works and, and think about it in a, in a singular, like a collective noun. What does the phrase good works actually mean? Well, throughout the Bible, there are two uses of the word good. I'm going to teach you a couple Greek words here. Ready? The one is called kalos. Say it with me. Kalos means beautifully or attractively good. It speaks to something that's beneficial, that has purpose on the outside. Nothing wrong with this word. It just means it has a functional aspect. So it means attractively good. You see something on the outside. Oh, I like that. That's good. It works, you might say. The other word is agathos. Say it with me. Agathos, it means intrinsically good. So kalos, something is good, would mean it would be attractively good. If something is agathos or good, it would be intrinsically good. It means it has inherent worth, value. These two are the words used throughout the Bible to talk about things. And so both are effective. They're both uh, good words for good, okay? There's not one that's better or, or they're just used differently. I tell you that because in Titus, they're both used with the word work. There are times he speaks of works that are intrinsically from the right source. They are inherently um, from the right motives. And then there are times he uses the word good to talk about works that are beneficial and attractive. You can see the end result of them and it's, they, they work. These, these works work. So they're, they're both are good words for good, and they describe an expenditure of energy. That's what the word work means. It's the word um, ergon. We get from that our word that means something is ergonomically correct. The idea of energy or work. So in a, in a technical sense, you could say that, that good works are actually rightly motivated and properly beneficial expenditures of energy. Sounds a little classroomish, but just kind of understand that's what a good work is. It's when you expend energy and give action, and it's rightly motivated and properly beneficial. That's a good work, okay? So what do we believe about these kinds of expenditures of energy or actions? 
Let's look at our Bible to find out what we believe. Here's the first reference. Titus chapter 1, verse 16. Let's read it together. I'll read it for you. Follow along. That's what that means, by the way. <laughs> Titus 1.16. They profess to know God. Speaking here of false teachers. They profess to know God with their mouth. They say something, but they deny Him by their works. In other words, what people see isn't what they heard. These false teachers are detestable, disobedient, and they are unfit for any what? Good work. So what we see here is that good works prove our true identity. They actually tell people what we are way faster and way better than our words. Notice in the verse, if you would, that the reason that they deny the Lord by their works is because they are unable to do good works. Do you see that? They're detestable, they're disobedient. In other words, it speaks to their character, what's inside of them. And so they're unfit, they're unable to do any good work. So when they say things... Their life does not back it up. Just understand, here's a good principle about good works. Here's a point of belief that good works prove our true identity. Now, I'll say more in a minute about this, but let me just kind of add an addendum here. You may say, well, Todd, if we see someone doing good things, does that mean they're born again? No, because good works have to come from the right source. I'll say more in a minute, okay? But good works prove our true identity... The good works are the ones that come from the right source, remember? They're properly motivated, beneficial. Those kinds of works from the right source with the right result, and they prove our true identity. It's just a good principle about good works we can learn from Scripture. Number two, Titus chapter 2, verse 7. Here's what the Scriptures teach us. He's speaking here to young men, as you see in verse 6. It's the context. I believe he says... The word yourself, because Titus is considered a young man. And he says, show yourself, speaking to Titus and all the young men, to be, uh, in all respects, to be a model of what? Good works. And your teaching show integrity and dignity. So the call to Titus here was to, to be a pattern for people. So that when they would watch him, they would then know what to do. It would be like the old adage, don't just do what I say, do what I what? Do. In fact, here's, what, here's a good process for training someone. They often say this, you do, you watch me as I do it, then you do it with me, and then I'll watch you as you do it. That whole kind of cycle is built around the idea of, of seeing a pattern of something. And so when it comes to good works... We are to do them in a way that provides a pattern for other people to follow. They're visible. If you think about points one and two here, you might could say that your good works are like a, a visual confession of faith. I mean, often we think about a confession of faith being something we verbalize, right? But did you know that your good works actually visualize your confession of faith? They tell people who you really are, and they show them how to follow in that way. Number three, Titus 2.14. Some of you are thinking, we've never gone this fast through a book. This is amazing. <laughs> Titus 2.14. This is a, a, a verse in the middle of a great paragraph about the gospel, but I'm just going to go to the verse where the phrase is found. He says, Who gave himself for us, speaking of Jesus Christ, he gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness. Here's, that's, that's what he did 
and also to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for, say it with me, good works. We're to be ramped up. We're to be stoked about serving God. In other words, the third thing we know and believe about good works is that they showcase God's work. Now now understand, church, good works aren't designed to showcase your work. Good works are ultimately designed to showcase God's work. And that's why this, this little phrase about how Christ owns us, we're his possession, and so we're zealous, we're, we're motivated, we're passionate for good works, it, it flows in the text of the gospel. Look at verse 11. The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. And so we renounce godliness, we live self-controlled, upright, godly lives, While we're waiting for Christ to return, yes, he's the one who has redeemed us and has purified us so that we will be zealous for good works. All of the idea of being zealous and passionate for serving, for doing good works, flows out of what God has done for us. That's why we say that good works showcase God's work and they're the perfect complement to the gospel. So the gospel is both audible. It's what people hear. Amen? But the gospel is also visible. It's what people see. And they see you serving and sacrificing and doing good works. And they say perhaps, man, what makes you do that? What compels or propels you to live that way? And we say, man, Jesus Christ did a good work for me, didn't he? He bought me back from lawlessness. He owns me and is purifying me. So I don't have to serve. I get to serve. I'm not forced to do good works. I am blessed to do good works. This is the flow of these verses. And so here's what we believe about good works. They showcase whose work? God's work. They're the perfect complement to the gospel. Now let me answer a question here. Let me press pause and just answer a question that I, I answered to someone this week who asked this. And if you have some other questions, text them in. We'll try to get to them here in a, in a little bit. You're, you're free to ask them and we'll address them live, okay? The number, I think, is in your worship folder. But someone asked me this weekend, talking about this, well, Todd, can the lost people do good works? I mean, if, if good works showcase God's work, and if really they must come from the right source to be a good work, can lost people do good work? And there was a divergence of opinion on this. Some were saying, well, of course they can. They can do good works. I disagree. And you can disagree with me here, and it's not going to separate our fellowship, and it won't really determine our sanctification or spiritual status. Amen, Okay. But my, after thinking this through, I tend to think lost people can do works, but they can't do good works. Think with me. If a work is ultimately designed to showcase God's work, and we're not, really, we're not designed to be the ultimate end game of a work. It's about God's work. We defer credit to Him. It's all because of His energy in us. His, his gospel fuels all of our efforts. If that's the case, and we're not born again, and we do a good work so that people will like us or that God will approve of us, does that make that work good? No, it makes that work actually very selfish. Think about it. You may think it's good on the surface, going to the nursing home, making a meal for your neighbor, but if you're a lost person and you're doing that, well, maybe I'll score some points. That's actually a very corrupt work. Did you know that? Because your ultimate end game is that you will gain something. I think that is, even if they're not aware of it, the ultimate end game of unbelievers who try to work their way for God. They're missing the 
right motivation, even if it has the beneficial aspect. For that reason, I tend to lean this way. That really lost people can't do good works. Can they do works? Yes. But I believe only God's people who've been saved by His grace do good works. You say, well, Todd, then what makes a work good? I'm glad you asked. Here's the best way to put this. It's grace that makes a work good. Now, church, listen to me very carefully. You don't have to do any works for God to love you. Just relax. Take a deep breath. He's not keeping a list and checking it twice, seeing who's naughty or nice. He's not a divine Santa Claus. God is the creator. And he has rightly reconciled his people to himself through the finished and satisfactory eternal work of his son. And as a believer in Christ, you stand before God justified. Going to the nursing home, fixing a meal for your neighbor, serving the nursery, working the youth group, what Justin, Becca, Dave kind of modeled for us humorously, so to speak, they're not better than you in God's eyes. Does that make sense? Then man, why serve? Why do good works? Because you're that free. Because grace is that powerful. So you know what makes a work good? Grace. The very fact that you don't have to do them means, wow, I can't wait to do them. Just mark it down. It's grace that makes every work good. Number four. Titus chapter 3 verse 1 He says here, we're to remind, Titus is to remind the people there on the island of Crete, those believers, to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every what? Say it again. Work with me here. Every good work. The word ready there means to be prepared. And so we learn from this that that good works require readiness, and they display the difference God has made in our life. A little bit rep. Uh, repetition here. But you'll notice as the thing keeps going, he talks about how as they're not quarreling, as they're gentle, as they're submissive to their authorities in the culture, as they're obedient, as they're doing good works, they're not speaking evil. This shows others that they're not like those who are still foolishly disobedient. They're not like the way they used to be. They're different. And so watch this, church. They don't quarrel. They're submissive to their governing authorities as long as those authorities aren't in violation of God's word. There's this gentleness about them. I mean, don't you love the the contrast here? And these things are, are good works that show the difference God has made. So we've got to be prepared for these. I tend to think that maybe one of the ways to do this is by taking the time to let God work in us so that as he's working in us, then the good works flow out of us. If the gospel isn't working in, it's hard to imagine the good works are going to flow out. This is how we become ready and prepared. We take the time on a regular basis to soak in the truth of the gospel, that God loves us and Christ has died for us. 
That motivates us. That becomes the fuel. The grace of God's appeared, bringing salvation for all people. So we're zealous for good works. We're prepared. We're ready to show what a difference God has made in our life. Number five. Titus chapter three, verse eight. Here's what the writer Paul would teach us through the Holy Spirit's inspiration about good works. He says here, and I believe this verse here is is probably one of the more central verses about good works in this three-chapter book. He says to Titus that he is to insist on these things, that this saying is trustworthy, that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to what? Good works. The word devote there means to maintain or to set before you. In other words, it means to keep good works in focus and a priority. In, in fact, the most literal rendering of the word uh, devoted there would be to set before you. It's a combination of two words, meaning to set something or to stand something, and then the word pros or pro, meaning before. And so those who are the people of God, it says here, we must, as pastors, insist that you keep good works set before you. You maintain a devotion to doing on the outside and, and showing what God is doing on the inside. That's why our fifth point, our fifth theological belief about good works is this. They take what? Commitment. And they're the result of right beliefs. I like this in this verse, he says that it's those who have believed in God. They must be careful or intentional to devote themselves, to set before themselves this life of good works. So right beliefs... The gospel bears the fruit of good works. Number six, our last and final one. Kids, hope you're following along on your handout. Just kind of make notes here. Titus chapter 3, verse 14. Here's kind of how he ends the book. He says, let our people learn to devote themselves to what? Say it loudly with me. Good works. And then he says this, so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. So good works actually are beneficial for the needy. And then watch this last phrase. They keep us from spiritual apathy and laziness. Now now connect this with number five. This is why you need to keep good works in full view. This is why you need to focus on good works. Set them before you. Why? Because they will keep you from spiritual apathy and laziness. Let me speak to you very transparently as your pastor. Listen very carefully. Kids, listen to this. We laugh at this sometimes and we kind of joke about it, but this is is practically and humanly true. Pastors, you can almost sense when someone's pulling away from the church because a couple of things happen. First of all, they begin to be kind of, they kind of decrease in their attendance. They just become sporadic. Then they kind of start becoming sporadic in their serving. In other words, their good works with the church and to the church, and those aren't the only good works we can do, you're right. But those specific good works begin to lessen. They're infrequent. And you know, I've been in with our own pastors and I've been in conferences with them. We've had meetings. And we kind of say, well, I haven't seen them in a month. I guess they're headed out the door. We kind of laugh about that. Well, they... They quit on the nursery team. What's up with that? You, you kind of maybe wonder what's up. And that's not every case, but I will say this to you. When we, when we quit 
keeping good works in front of us and being committed and devoted and prepared for them, it's often the very first step towards spiritual apathy, unfruitfulness. Can I just urge you in this way not to discount the service you give to the Lord in this church? You may think it's just filling a slot or accepting a role or a rotation, but you know what? You are actually doing something far more beneficial. You're actually keeping your spiritual life in the right trajectory. You're keeping the enemy at bay. Good works are a great defense against Satan's attacks to bring unfruitfulness and apathy and laziness into your life. In fact, let me just go a step further on this thin ice and say this to you. If you're here this morning and you're feeling like, well, I go to the service, but I just don't feel connected. I don't feel like I'm really part of First Family, but I, I go on the weekends, but I just, well, I got a suggestion for you. And I think you're ahead of me, aren't you? Start serving somewhere. Because you feel much more like an owner when you're invested in the work. It's why at our home, kids get chores when they're about three days old. I mean, you're breathing, you're pooping, you're crying, you're working. Let's get this going, right? God, being facetious. I'm just saying, families are no different than churches in a lot of ways. One's physical, one's spiritual in that sense. And when we all grab a shovel, grab a towel, suddenly, you know, I'm, I'm a part of things. So if you're, if you're here and you're thinking, well, I do feel somewhat apathetic and I feel much more critical, I feel, well, maybe the answer is not in what we're doing. Trust me, we've got a lot to learn and we're not perfect. I realize that. But maybe the answer this time is in maybe the fact that you're not doing anything except watching. And serving is one of the best ways to feel connected and to get involved. They help fight off apathy, laziness, and unfruitfulness. And... They benefit the needy. So six things we've learned about good works. Six theological principles. Things we can build what we believe about good works on. Let's read them again briefly. They prove our true identity. They provide a pattern for others to follow. They showcase God's work. They're the perfect complement to the gospel. They require readiness and display the difference God has made in our life. They are... They take commitment and they're the result of right beliefs. And then they're beneficial for the needy and they keep us from spiritual apathy and laziness. Now, maybe you're saying this right now. Man, good works take a lot of work. Now, you may think that you see in this list, like, wow, I don't know if I've got time for good works. I mean, I'm worn out reading that list, Todd. Well, let me just see if I can bring some more insight into this. Because good works, and I want to use this phrase on purpose, good works actually should be quite supernaturally natural. All right? Let me show you what I mean. Where's one of our elementary kids? They're with us today for the family service. Can I borrow an elementary kid who's not afraid to work with me on illustration? I'm not going to embarrass you, but I do want to use you as an illustration. Is there an elementary kid that... um, Joshua, I'll use you. I saw your hands, so I'll just use you, and you'll help me out, right? Okay, I want you to stand right up here. Thank you, Josh. I appreciate it, buddy. I want you to stand right here. Everybody see him okay? Okay, good. So Josh is in what grade? Kindergarten. Kindergarten, okay. And so I'm sure Josh 
likes to do things and wants to be involved in good work. But if we, if we gave him a big list and said, just do all these things, it, it would be difficult. But when things flow from us, uh, they're more natural. Let me show what I mean. If, if I, it's, it's like if I said to an apple tree, if I were to say, let's say you were an apple tree. If I were to say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you to bring me some apples, and, and you would naturally bear apples. Apples, like this, if you were an apple tree, would just come out of him, right? Why? Yeah, you're saying, well, Todd, this is a dumb question. That's what I'm saying. It's, it's natural to realize that an apple tree, does an apple tree do a lot of work? Yes, but is it natural? Yeah, because why? There's a seed inside that produces apples. The apple tree's not saying to say, man, I've got to work at apples. Good night. See, what's, the, what's, the, what's the recipe? Apples, apples, apples. In some ways, it's just natural for an apple tree to do what? What if we did this, though? What if he was like an orange tree or a pear tree? And we said, you know what? I, I think I'm going to, I need an apple tree instead. So I'm going to take an apple and I'm going to do this. And be real still, okay? Can you hold that right there? We need gorilla tape, not duct tape, right? Oh, I got an apple tree. Awesome. Let me get another apple. I need some more apples. So, let's see. Can you, can I hold this uh, phone for you, kindergartner? Great. Put that right there. Good. I got an apple tree. You'd laugh. I mean, if you were a tree, you'd say, that's ridiculous. That's not an apple tree, that's a pear tree, that's an orange tree, whatever it was, you know. Because you don't attach fruit, what do you do? You bear fruit. It's natural for the seed to show up. So I would take the apples and I would just say, you know, Mr. Apple Tree, we don't need to duct tape the apples to you because you know what? You will naturally bring forth apples. But that's what we'd say. Now, Josh is going to teach this with me for a minute. You know what many of us do? Many of you, we try to attach good works with spiritual duct tape. Oh, I got to put on, I got to see, I got to, and we, we stick on Bible reading, church attendance, helping the neighbor, fixing a meal, going to Sunnyview. And, and it frustrates you, and you, you don't like it. And you know what the problem is? Perhaps, listen very carefully. Don't be offended by this. The problem is that you're trying to attach what should naturally come out. Good works. Maybe not those specific ones always, but in other words, this list should not make you tired. It should make you think, wow, I can't get all that done. Just relax a bit and know that when the gospel is inside, front and center, when the gospel is the root, good works are the fruit. Amen? Josh, thank you. Give me five, buddy. Thank Josh for me, would you? Oh, and your phone, Josh. Sorry about that. I didn't mean to keep that. My apologies. There you go, buddy. Thank you. Does that make sense? I mean, just think about that. I, I don't know how to say this in the right way, so I'm just going to try to I'm going to take a shot at it. I think sometimes we work too hard at good works. 
and, and maybe we should just realize that while the gospel is the root, the gospel's the fuel, let's just make sure we keep the cross in central focus and then I think the good works will flow naturally. It doesn't mean we shouldn't be ready, prepared, and committed, devoted. I agree with all that. But this list shouldn't wear you out. This list actually should excite you. That You mean this is what the gospel does? A root that strong and that deep produces that kind of fruit naturally? Yes. Wow, I'm just going to dive into the gospel. All that God has done for me in the face of Christ, I'm going to dive into that, embrace it, cling to it, and watch God turn my life upside down visually and verbally. That's what good works are. In fact, let me show you a verse where good works and fruit are said in the same sentence. Colossians 1, 9, and 10 says this. This is really a prayer. It goes through verse 12. But look at this one phrase. Paul said, We've not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will. So that's an inside thing going on, right? In all spiritual wisdom understanding. So here's the inside stuff happening. And then you'll walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. That's the outside stuff happening, fully pleasing to Him. Say it with me now. Bearing fruit in every good work. So good works are just actually the fruit of the gospel taking root in your life. Let's simplify it even more. Here's the take on truth for today. Good works are one of God's ways of going public. Can you say it with me? Good works are one of God's ways of going public. Now, it's not his only way. Creation is one of God's ways of going public. Amen? It renders men without excuse. Preaching is one of God's ways of going public. Romans 10. But we also know that good works are one of God's ways of going public. It's how people see what God is up to in your life. And so we're to be devoted to them, committed to them, prepared for them. The right motive. All those things are true. But, but don't put the, what do they call it, the cart in front of the horse. Is that right? The gospel is the root. Good works are the fruit. The gospel is the fuel, the engine. Good works just may be the car you drive. You keep it in that order. And then good works will naturally flow in a supernatural way. There will be... One of God's ways of going public with what he's doing in your life. You know, you wonder, like, well, Todd, what's he going public about? If you were to take these six verses in Titus, I won't mention, I won't list these for you visually, but just know this. God will go public about who he is, whose we are, what he's done, and what we believe, and how we help, and why we help. He's going public about all that through good works. Well, let me see if any questions have been texted in before we wrap this up this morning. Any questions that come in? Let's take maybe the first two if we can. I knew we'd get a follow-up question to this. This will be good. If lost people are unable to do good works, are they also unable to be truly altruistic? I'll give you an opinion here, okay? Um, it would seem perhaps that even their best motives are corrupt, because of a lack of the grace of God in their life. That's my opinion on that, yes. I don't think that they would always recognize that or know that. Lost people's minds and eyes are blind. But I think in a logical fashion, I would probably tend to say they may tend to 
maybe have an, an end game they're not aware of, perhaps. So that's my opinion. I think that's the point we can disagree on, by the way. But that's the question. That's my opinion. Next question. How can I keep my good works from turning into an attitude of legalism? That's a great question. So here's what uh, I would suggest is kind of what we do. And we remind each other. In fact, Julie, I think we were honest. We'd say we remind each other of this a good bit. There's a big K list and there's a little K list. The big K list are the big kingdom stuff that we don't get to decide. God decides that. Amen? Non-negotiable. It's closed. The little K stuff are things that, that we can be involved in. And if someone doesn't do those kinds of good works, perhaps, it's all right. They're just made different. God's called them different. He's gifted them different. Their skills are different. I'm good with that. Does sometimes that get frustrating when you think, I wish they would do the good works I do? Yeah, it does. And you probably experienced that, haven't you? You tend to like people who are like you. But in those little K areas, just leave a lot of grace. You're going to want a lot of grace one day. And thank the Lord that he's made us different. He's filled the body with toes and noses and ears and arms and legs, right? And not everyone's an ear, not everyone's an eye, not everyone's a big toe. We're all different. So I think one of the ways to keep works from turning into legalism is by when God says this is what we have to do, then we preach that, we hold that. We say, hey, we're all under this, okay? We're going to insist on this. Maybe that one there is the actual idea of good works. If you were to say, well, I don't do anything in the church, I would say, actually, you're wrong. You should serve the church. But if you say, well, I serve the church in this way, and it's different than your way, I'd say, okay, yeah, I'm good with that. Does that make sense? So big K, little K is one of the ways that we've found to be very helpful in keeping works from turning into an attitude of legalism. Here's one other uh, helpful hint for you is to repeat the gospel to yourself on a regular basis. Nothing you do earns you any more favor with God. So when you start to feel puffed up, you know, man, I'm pretty important to God. I bet he loves me a little bit more today than he did yesterday. That's actually false. God loves you completely and fully and unconditionally today and he will tomorrow because God is love. Everything he does is loving. So repeat the gospel to yourself that he has found full satisfaction in his son. And because you're in his son, he has found full satisfaction in you. So work from that motive, not from the approval motive. When we think we have to gain God's approval, those quickly turn to legalism, don't they? We don't work for God's approval. We serve and work because of God's approval. Let's take the third question while we're at it, and then we'll wrap this up. What is the best way to keep our hearts humble in regards to good works rather than proud? Maybe we could defer to the previous answer on that, maybe a little bit, perhaps. Um, here's a practical tip. I would say that whenever you get a compliment, say thank you, and then maybe try to find a way to defer that credit. All right? This will help keep your heart humble. It could get annoying to people who compliment you. And they're going to figure out what you're doing, but it may work to actually keep you humble. So someone says, man, that's a great message. Hey, thank you, man. I'm so thankful. Holy Spirit really empowered that message. Someone says, hey, man, it was a delicious meal. Thank you. And you know what? I'm really glad that, that the kids all helped me fix it. 
Just find some way to defer some of the credit. I've discovered personally that when you can defer credit, man, you don't let pride pile up. Okay? You may think it's trivial. You may think that's kind of cheesy. I'm just telling you from personal experience, deferring credit works to keep pride away and humility in place. Now, let's see if we can make some of this even more practical. Can we do that? If good works are one of God's ways of going public, and we know that we should, I'm going to have our family ministry team join me. Pastor Travis and Director Becky are going to join me up here. And then we'll be done, a little longer maybe today than normal. That's okay. We can make this work. We just got one service, right? He agrees, I promise. He's with me. Trust me. (laughs) Here's some good works you can do this week, in fact. And we've kind of got them in two categories. We've got... Maybe the church aspect, and we've got the community aspect. There's different things represented here, and these aren't the only things. We won't have the help of our family team. They kind of oversee our family service and make it more interesting and engaging. I want them to kind of walk through a couple of these things, wouldn't they? Travis, how can we serve, do good works in our community? So just some practical ideas for you guys to consider. Children, talk with your moms and dads about this, and just uh, maybe opportunities you have to serve your community. The first is uh, my spiritual gift, which is making cookies. Uh, you could make your fam- your neighbors some cookies. Maybe you received some cookies uh, this holiday. So go ahead and um, go make some cookies, deliver them to your neighbors. That's easy, and everybody appreciates some sweets. Uh, second of all, we have a shovel up here, which represents uh, helping your neighbors by cleaning their walks or their, or their driveway. I know uh, we haven't had much snow lately, but uh, it's coming, right? We have snow camp this, this weekend, and uh, so we're praying for snow. So when it snows Thursday, right before our snow camp, uh, you can uh, go ahead, take your shovel outside, and help your neighbors out and shovel their walk as well. Then we have two items up here. One is a, uh, a bouquet of flowers, and another one is a clock. The bouquet of flowers and the clock represent, uh, we've mentioned Sunnyview a couple times throughout the service, and, and that's a ministry that we have here, and uh, a ministry we definitely need help and support in, and we know they love that as well. So one way, one way you could love and encourage them would be to take them flowers and, and to remember the elderly and, and care for them and love them. And the second one, the clock represents time. All of you have time. Sometimes it seems like we're short on it, but we do have time, and we have to make that time available and, and use it well. So spend the time you have, especially with, with our Sunnyview folks and our, and our, our loved ones that, that need that encouragement and that, and that support. So use your time well. So there's some opportunities you have even this week to love and care for your community. Amen. Just an example. Sunnyview is a nursing home in our city, one of a couple or three. That's what he's talking about there. So, yeah, there's some ideas for kids and families. Becky, how can we serve, do good works in the church? That's um, right. Kids, will you raise your hands if you have a piggy bank? It may not look this pretty that came from Travis's house, but um, (laughs) do you have a piggy bank at home or somewhere you keep your coins? Raise your hands. Let me see them. Okay, so kids, this isn't, we're not just talking today about things that moms and dads and adults can do. We're talking about things that you can get involved into. And one of the ways is giving of your money and maybe you do chores maybe you earn an allowance maybe um you help that neighbor and they say i want to pay you five dollars for shoveling my driveway you know what you can use some of that and give it back to the church and give it back to the lord and i know you do that in your offerings let me um, interrupt there becky yes let's pause on giving and say that in the month of december do you remember in the back of the chair there was an envelope it was kind of orangish in nature and anything you gave in that envelope went to international missions. You remember that? Just raise your hand and say, I remember that envelope being there. Okay, more of you should have, that's okay. Um, because look, many of you did give in that. We give a substantial amount to international missions each year, but I want you to know that what you gave in that did make a difference. In fact, here's a quick video of 
some thank yous from folks who benefited from that very offering. Watch this, and I want you to notice how your good works make a difference. Watch this video, would you? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. For giving. For giving. Thank you for your giving. To the Lottie Moon offering. Toward Lottie Moon. Thank you for giving to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. But most importantly, due to your generosity, we've been able to share God's word with those around us. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Because you gave, I'm able to access remote areas of Central Asia and explain the gospel with people God is already drawing to himself. With your help, we are bringing light to the dark places among unreached people groups. Because of what you've given, it allows me to share this gospel with as many Central Asians as I can across London. Your giving allows our organization to provide need for refugees and to give them hope. Thank you for giving to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering so that we can buy Bibles in Arabic that we use with our Discovery Bible Study with non-believers. Because of your generosity, African women are hearing stories from God's Word while henna is being drawn on their hands and arms. And because of your giving, the life changes that we see through faith in Jesus Christ, that happens because of your gifts. Thank you for giving to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering and helping to provide this wonderful water filter here in Northern Thailand. Your giving allows me to continue with my medical license here in Ghana, where I can not only do surgeries, but also the patients have the opportunity to hear the gospel. So thank you. Because of your giving, I'm able to speak to these thousand kids every Wednesday morning. Thank you. Thank you, First thank Baptist, Baptist Church. Thank you, Faith Promise Church. Thank you, Christina Baptist Church. Thank you and God bless you. Amen. Thank you for the good work of giving that you're doing. And kids, she's exactly right. A few pennies here, nickels, a dollar here or there. Goes to a larger pot that helps people all across the globe. Thanks, Becky. What else you got there? Um, we also have a bag of toys. Um, you probably know what we use these for. And... Uh, we have, we, I went through the numbers, we have 43 openings every Sunday morning in our kids' ministry from birth through fifth grade. So every Sunday, there are 43 of you that are giving your time and your love to the families and Amen. the kids and uh, serving and just loving on the kids and sharing the gospel with them. And then on Amen. Wednesday nights... Um, we have 42 people that regularly come on Wednesday nights and do um, Awana with us. And so that is great. And some of you may be sitting there saying, you know what, that's just not my gifting. And we're trying to take apples from pear trees. If you love to organize, you could come during the week and help us clean out the classrooms. Um, if you want to help us with craft supplies or things like that. So um, it's not just what you may see visual as in, hey, I'm going to be in a classroom, but there's lots of other ways. And then we've got the vacuum here. There are lots of people that come in that you may never know about or see that clean bathrooms and vacuum and do things behind the scenes to just keep this church um, going. So there are lots of opportunities. Um, the ushers, the greeters, we just have a lot of different places. Amen. Hey, that's just a sampling. Because good works matter. We should be devoted to them and committed to them. So, Travis, Becky, thank you. And can I just say to you, let's, 
um, continue and let's band together to not only have a right theology about good works, but to put that theology into good shoe leather and to flesh out what the Bible says really is God going public. Good works. As we close today, I'm going to embarrass some people because they have lived this out for me and my family this weekend. First of all, it was many of you in this church who were here till 1 o'clock last night. Um, you didn't have to be here. You're not paid to clean this place up, but you came in, you reset chairs. This place uh, 12 hours ago didn't look like this. <laughs> but you came and you, you, you moved chairs in, you filled this up late, you stayed. Uh, there were 10, 15 folks who handled all the serving last night for a reception that was here for our family and a wedding of our daughter. Um, and they just volunteer. A lot of people in this church did some good work. We benefited, and God was glorified. And I want to say just thank you very much. And one particular person that helped our family, I want to embarrass her on purpose here. I'll get her back for some years and maybe when we were kids. My sister did something really neat this week for us. She said, hey, when mom and dad get here and my parents are here for the wedding and we had some good time, she said, when everybody gets here, why don't you guys do this? Why don't you just plan to come to our house and eat here? And so my first reaction was to say, no, don't worry about that, you know, because you don't want to be in trouble. But I got to thinking, wow, beginning Wednesday, if we could just go there for our meals and Julie went to fix anything and we could just pop in and she goes, Todd, I'd love to serve that way. I, I, I love hospitality. So let me just do that. Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, just bank on eating here and pop in. It'll be ready. And I'll tell you something. Saturday morning, we got up for the wedding. And I was like, man, that was a huge gift to us. And my sister just used hospitality and her ability to fix food to relieve our family of a ton of, of, of extra work. And Cindy, I just want to say thanks for that good work. We benefited and God was glorified. And so if you need examples, just look at my sister first of all, okay? <laughs> look at someone in your row. Look at this church. And let's not quit being committed to good work.